All right, so I, I feel like it's been forever since I've done this. So this is day 67, I believe, of my Revival Talks. Um, it's been a crazy few days. I think that's why I've had a hard time like getting this back on here like the way I was wanting to every day. But um, yeah, the summer's a different animal for us, um, you know, because of the things we got going in the summer. And then um, during the actual... Uh, fall and whatnot, it was a lot easier to have this thing every, at seven o'clock every morning and um, fit into my little routine, you know, but my routine um, in the summer goes to um, Haywire, which is a good thing, um, gets me in, in sync with some other things. There's so, so, so much um, that's been going on. It's crazy what God is doing in revival. But Saturday, my wife and I went up to um, Chester, South Carolina, and it was a one-day Arthur Burke seminar on blessing your brain. And the fun part about blessing your brain is that I don't know if I could actually art <laughs> articulate exactly what it was about. Um there are some things that I think are just like literally an encounter and you know, you don't, you don't really have all the words to articulate except to say that, um, Arthur Burke is interesting. He functions in a way that I haven't seen, um, on a corporate level, um, function in, in many ways. I haven't seen this kind of thing in many years, but he, he, now, this is just my interpretation. A lot of people know a lot more about him, okay? But he he's a kind of a, a very science-geared person, and he experiments. And, you know, in the realm of inner healing, you have a broad variety of things out there that um, that are all God. You know, you go to Bethel, you get Sozos. If you go somewhere else, you'll get something by John Malone. If you go somewhere else, you'll get, you know, everybody has like a piece of something that they do with inner healing. And... It's interesting, the resurgence and in, in inner healing that we've actually been seeing in the context of revival, which um, I think because, honestly, because God goes after the heart the way he is, and because we really are being prepared as a habitation of the Holy Spirit, he's doing stuff in our hearts that are just, hey, Teresa, how are you? Like, that are just like, that catching me off guard. I don't think I've been caught off guard as much by the Holy Spirit lately as I have been in any other time in my life. And when I say caught off guard, it's like where something where you find yourself like weeping over like, you know, you know, having an emotional response to something that you didn't know was there. And, um, but at Arthur Burke, very interesting, you know, every time that he would pray, this is the fourth, this is like one of the first times he's done something corporate. Okay. And meaning he's used to one-on-one, -on -one, but in this corporate setting, he's, um, he, you know, he's praying over, praying out a prayer after each part of the thing he's talking about, about things that are getting reset in our brains. And every time he prays, you know, we feel tangibly Holy Spirit on my head, you know, doing something, but it's, it's been a long time since I've seen something happen on an inner healing or healing 
I'm, I'm including the brain in her healing because for me it probably is. But where I've seen like at a corporate anointing for something to happen to every, everybody in the room, that God is doing something, most of his meetings that he's done with the brain, the kind of healing and things that people have experienced have been something that they've experienced in a tw- like in an eight hour period. So you're, you're seeing there is this acceleration and there is this sense of God is doing things much quicker. The timetable has changed, you know, in an accelerated season when God is redeeming time. I think we're getting things in very concentrated doses, like the things Holy Spirit is doing are very intentional as he goes after our heart, after our soul, and the things that, like I said, I've seen in this resurgence of healing, of just being caught off guard by things that are in my heart. You know, I've heard this a lot with people, you know, they're they're facing stuff in their own heart that they thought was something that they had done like so long ago. You know what I mean? Like I already dealt with that. Like why is this coming back up? And so we went from Arthur Burke to um, Dawsonville, Georgia. And so we were there for the Sunday night thing and, and Dawsonville has just continued to explode. You know, you've got people coming from all over the world. Um, a lot of the, what we're doing at Remnant, you know, Todd's been to Remnant here in Brunswick three different times and everywhere Todd goes, you know, it's very telltale signs of what we see in previous revivals from the standpoint of that you have these fire hubs that God is kind of creating across the the country. You know, places where the they're like, um, I call it a fire hub, a hub that there is revival fire and the fire that's there is a fire that is transferable. It's much like what we saw in the past revivals of Toronto, um, with Brownsville, but there's the difference this time is that there are a lot more hubs and launch stations across this country and around the world. And so we're not just seeing one main hub that the whole world comes to. We're seeing hubs being created, you know, in strategic places to the Holy Spirit. Um, all over the globe and all over our country right now. And I think that they are strategic hubs and launch pads for a lot of revival ministry to be launched from and for that fire to be taken to other places. You know, revivals revivals tend to be highly transferable. People go to the location and the mother of this revival that we've been seeing here is in Dawsonville, Georgia. And so You've already got people coming from all over the country. You've got people coming from other countries and, you know, waiting to get in and to get into that water. One of the things that was really, really awesome this time was I ran into a former student of mine and I've seen him twice in the last, like, you know, let's say seven years and both times we're in Dawsonville. And so this time it was like, um... I think you need to get in that water. (laughs) And he did. And he recommitted his life to Christ on the spot, like divine appointment, like on steroids, right? You know, here we are, we connect and it's like, you're here for such a time as this. And you're here. There's not, it's not a coincidence that you and I are here together and you get to go and you're going in that water. And so Todd had invited us to, um, actually, um, 
work in the water if we wanted to for however long to be help baptizing. And so we got to baptize this former student of mine. So it was like, it was crazy. It was awesome. And he recommitted his life and Marty had a word for him, you know, about a business that was coming out of the thing that he was doing, like prophesying over him. And to hear Marty, um, his message was just so in incredibly powerful. And my wife and I, I know he probably wouldn't want us to say this about him, but my wife and I always say he's like one of our heroes. Marty is the pastor that's always in the water in Dawsonville in the, the main tank. And essentially, he'll be in that tank for eight, nine hours at a time, never have to go to the restroom, wearing jeans in the water the whole time ministering. And even after he preached, he was in the water ministering. I would... We were just kind of blown away just by the humility and just the service. And, you know, when you're, you know, the churches in that area have come together. And a lot of the people that are actually working in the revival are people from other churches. And so it's amazing to see what God is doing there. And so this time around for us personally, um, once we were in the water, you know, if you if you do any baptizing in the water, you get to get baptized yourself. And so um, the team was very gracious in letting us get in there. And my wife's um, baptism was essentially her Thanksgiving. She said, I'm here to be thankful. I'm, I'm here because I am thankful because in this same water I met Jesus, not met him, and got saved. That would be kind of fun, wouldn't it? My wife gets saved 20 years later. Um met Jesus in the water and got healed with stage three breast cancer. And so, um, and it's crazy, the power of the word of testimony. Like when we walk in that building, it's just kind of uh, interesting because everybody in the room is like, oh yeah, you know, they want to talk to my wife about her testimony because we get healed by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And so it's like when... Whenever there's a testimony in any revival that God is doing something, right? Even like if you've watched um, Randy Clark in some of his meetings and his revival meetings in past years, it was like they would literally look at what was happening. And if tonight they had a new miracle that happened, let's say, for example, I remember when Randy Clark was telling the story about the first time they had seen metal dissolve in somebody's body. That had pins and screws and it dissolved. There was one man who had a plate in his head that dissolved in the meeting. He didn't know it until he went to the airport on a trip. He's going through the, the scanner and normally he sets it off and he has to tell everybody, I've got metal in my body. So now they can do what at the airport. Now it's a strip search, right? If you have uh, some reason you make the buzzer go off. I'm being funny, but it's like. How many times have we taken a flight where you got to take off your shoes, your belt? It's like, what's next? Okay. But anyway, so he goes through and his head doesn't set the thing off. And he thinks, eh, no, I don't know. Maybe a coincidence or maybe it's, I don't know, something weird. But when he comes back on his flight back, it doesn't set it off again. So he goes back to his doctor and it's like, bam, there's a metal in his head. And so whenever there's something that God is doing, I love the way Sean Baltz puts it. Sean Baltz says it this way. When you see someone get something, he talks about it being a receipt, right? So let's say on their receipt, they've got all 
they've received this, this, this of Jesus, financial miracle, whatever it is, that receipt is a receipt for everybody. And I can take that receipt, right? And I can, I can cash that one in. It's mine. And that's the way it works with God, where he's not a respecter of persons. And so any miracle that you see, you can have it. It's yours. And so all we got to do is step in and grab it. And so it was crazy. Like I said, in Dawsonville this time, um, when my wife got baptized, you know, she was there for Thanksgiving for being healed. And when I got baptized, all I wanted was, I just wanted more. I, you know, I, I had physical things that I could say that I want to heal this or that. But it's like, as you watch people melt under the fire of God in that baptismal pool, the thing that we come face to face with is the thing that's in our heart. And the thing that was in my heart was, I just want more. Because we're, we're always in the place of giving it away and releasing it. I just want more. And so Marty loved that prayer. And when I was down in the water um, and I came up, I was fairly disoriented. A lot of fire on me. I mean, it was crazy. Like... I know that you, if you've been there, you know that the water feels like electricity and fire at the same time without scorching you. So kind of figure that out. But I remember this part, and this is part of what I wanted to say tonight was, um, I got, I was being held for a while on the, the stairs because I was, you know, out of it, like out of it, out of it. And I don't even know who was holding me. You know, if you looking at that pool and you go right and left, there are stairs there. And I remember the first time that I got in that water was when my wife and I got in. I remember putting my foot in that water and I said, oh, we're toast. I just looked at my wife and I said, whatever happens is going to be really good. We're kind of toast because Holy Ghost is in that water. And that's where she got healed. The next time I went and got in the water, I had taken those three students up there. And one of them had CF from birth. He's breathing fine, perfectly. He doesn't have, when he got out of the water and out of the baptism pool that night, I remember later he said, oh my God, my chest is expanded and I can breathe. Okay, for someone who has spent their entire life as their whole teenage life and their high school life not being able to breathe and not being able to play in a sport because they can't breathe. It's like when they says, I can breathe, I'm like, whoa. He felt the fire of God in his chest for five hours after that. The second kid, well, I, I had my two African-American boys and I called the other boy my, my skinny white boy. I love these three kids to death. And so... Um, but my skinny little white boy, that's my joke, he had been coughing up a lung for weeks. I mean, his mama was going to take him. I mean, at one point he wasn't coming. And then at the last minute, his mom was like, honey, you're going to go with Mr. Infante, whether you want to or not. I'll have to carry you over there. I will drop you off and you're going. And so he went, but he'd been to a specialist. They're getting ready to take him to a specialist. Been on antibiotics, couldn't get rid of this cough. So the next day, we're in the car, and he's like, I haven't been coughing. <laughs> I'm like, right? <laughs> of course. He wasn't coughing. It was like it settled in on him. The other young man, 
that I took, um, he felt the fire of God on his feet before he ever got to the pool. So we're outside of the baptism and he feels fire on his feet and he feels fire in his stomach all night long. He wasn't sick. He wasn't healed. But when he came up out of that water, he said, I didn't even know where I was. And they, they captured some really good photographs. I was so blessed that night because I got to baptize my kids with Marty. And it was just like, it was awesome. And, you know, you got these pictures of him. Marty just kind of holding his head and just speaking to him and speaking words of life into him. It's like um, Jesus is literally like changing things in our heart and rearranging things. And the thing that I always say about that water and when we go into it is that Jesus is always giving us so much more than what we ever anticipated. Because there's an impartation in the building. There's an impartation when you walk in. You take more away than what you think you do. I remember one of the people that we ministered to in Vidalia, Georgia, went up to Dawsonville on, he was on business, and they hadn't gone in the water yet, but he walked in the building and he couldn't stop weeping, just being in the building. That's what habitation feels like. That's what habitation feels like. When the presence of, of the Lord and the glory is so heavy that you feel it when you come into a room. I and you are supposed to be walking habitations and we are supposed to be corporate habitations of Jesus. This is how it happens. And so when we got baptized this past Sunday night, I was being held on the stairs and I held, the, Jesus kept saying to me, the father kept saying to me, you're my son. And then he said again, you're my son. And then he kept saying, you're my son. And my feet were on fire in that water. And I don't know what that was about, but it was like, you're my son. And part of me was like, Lord, I, I, I would love to have like a destiny word, you know, like something about, you know, my destiny, what I'm going to do. And it dawned on me in the middle of all of that, that that was the destiny word of the Lord. That him saying to me and me, my spirit and my heart getting it, you know, as somebody who was, I had my original biological leave when I was five. I was adopted by my stepfather, who has always been my dad, when I was 12 years old. I have his name. And then we adopted a son who has our name. So it's like kind of interesting how that worked. But because when you have those original places of abandonment and you have those original places of rejection, there is always something about this father issue that just feels unresolved inside of me for most of my life. And so for me to be on the stairs, being held by somebody I don't even know, still in the water, and for Jesus to keep saying to me, you're my son. And when I realized what he was saying, and the reason I say it was a destiny word is because of this. When he said that, what he was saying to me was, because my spirit was apprehending so much more. If you're my kid, 
your destinies sealed. If you just know that you're my, my son, then what you do and what you do and the, the, the things that I've called you to, the mantle that's on your life, the mandate of heaven that's on you, all of that is irrelevant in the sense that if you know that you're my son, then you know that everything else is good too. And it reminded me of Jesus's baptism where it was like Jesus, before he did one earth, one, one thing on earth, and he didn't want, John didn't want to baptize him. But he's like, hey, dude, wait, we need to fulfill all righteousness here. So you need to baptize me. And so when he was baptized and the, and the heavens were open, and by the way, they've never closed. So all that little funky theology about open heavens and brass heavens and the heavens are closed, that's hogwash. I don't ever see in the Bible where they ever closed. They opened up on Jesus' baptism. They've been open ever since. All of that stuff that we do with it's a closed heaven, it's a brass heaven, is honestly, I think it's part of the the lie of the enemy to, per, to perpetrate the lie that we are separate. There is no such thing as being separate. We are in union with Christ. There is no separation. Separation is an illusion propagated by the enemy, and it agrees with my shame, and that's why I believe it. Okay, and that's why Jesus wants to heal the shame, by the way. But my point in that was, it reminded me of the baptism of Jesus in the sense that when I know whose I am, that I'm his, and that that's my, he's my dad, he's my father, then everything else that I do and everything else that pertains to me flows out of sonship. That sonship is the, the, the place that everything, that's the thing he's returning us to. What he's doing and calling these prodigals home. I'm telling you, there are millions of prodigals that are coming home. And so every one of our kids and the people we know that have had a deposit of heaven in them and turned and walked away or turned and went into something else or are still out there floundering. I'm telling you, Jesus is going to write a big fat check and he's calling in the loan on that check because all of that money, all of those prodigals are coming back in. There is nothing that gets wasted. I don't care what their lives have looked like. I don't care what their darkest hour looks like. Jesus is not afraid of that part and he uses everything. Nothing is ever wasted. So, Sonship is the place of, is where we lose our orphan clothes. That's why Jesus, the father in the prodigal son story, ran out there and put the ring and the robe on his son because the first thing he was restoring was his sonship. It's like, you gotta know that you're my son because everything you've been doing and everything that's been done to you has messed with your head and your identity. You think you're just a, a, a piece of garbage created to feed pigs. And I'm telling you that you are a son and you get the whole kit and caboodle. Why was the religious son so ticked off? He was ticked off because he had been the Pharisee at home doing all the works, doing everything right. And, and the father said, 
everything I've always had has been yours. But you, my paraphrase, but you thought you had to earn it. So you've spent your life trying to get it right. Instead of spending your life just being a son who has it all, who the inheritance. You see, here's the thing. If we're not sons and daughters first, then everything else is totally out of whack because only a son or a daughter has an inheritance. Orphans don't have inheritance. Jesus, part of Jesus's inheritance is us stepping into our inheritance as sons and daughters. And I guarantee you, he's going to get his. His has been guaranteed. He is reconciling all things, all things, and restoring all things. We are going back to the blueprint of our design as people, and the blueprint of heaven is being imposed and radically brought down and literally released on earth. The blueprint of heaven is what he's after, the mandate that's on our lives. He is fulfilling the mandate that is on us. But we have to come from the place of being a son or a daughter. Otherwise, we are a hireling or we're an illegitimate kid and we don't have an inheritance. That's why the worker bees, the ones the ones that go out and try to earn it and try to get everything right, they don't have an inheritance. That's still an orphan. And part of what Jesus is doing in this whole revival and what he's doing right now in this unmeasured grace and forced change of revival is he is literally ripping Egypt out of us because Egypt can't be a son. Egypt will always be an orphan and we can't have a generation of orphans. We have to be a generation of sons and daughters and mothers and fathers. That's who we are. The Lord spoke um, a word to me and he said, um, I'm resetting my people's expectations. And I had to think about that because I feel like there is a massive reset and here's why. And here's what I mean by resetting our expectation. Most of our expectations have been built upon the lies that we believe about who God is. Okay, so when an orphan has an expectation, when I come from the orphan place, a lot of my, this is one of the reasons that I personally have always struggled with this concept of God giving me the desires of my heart. Because I would literally set the stage, you know, you build the house of cards with all of my expectations and my expectations had to do with an outcome. And every time that we set an expectation on an outcome, we will be disappointed because we're setting an expectation based on an outcome because we, out of our brokenness, feel like we need to see the outcome in order for us to know that God is good. And Jesus is resetting that equation. He's saying, I want you to trust that I'm good and leave the outcome to me. Because the outcome that you will get as an orphan, if you want that outcome, 
you can have the orphan's outcome. But you will lie down in torment and you will lie down in a very disappointed place. Because what he's resetting, and I think part of the part of the impetus a lot between why he is radically going after our heart. I am being caught off guard by the Holy Spirit all the time. And I'm weeping. I was reading to a friend of ours who's here this week from Nashville. I was reading part of the book that my wife and I wrote that has to do with this very hard part of our story and how we came to Brunswick and how that changed. And I wept the whole time I was reading it because I hadn't looked at it before. Jesus is doing something in our hearts and restoring us to sons and daughters and no longer orphans. And a son or a daughter is able to believe that whatever you had, it's like what I said, when I was in the bottom of that pool on Sunday and I was being held in that water on those stairs, the only thing, I wanted this big destiny word, but I actually got it and it took me a minute to recognize it. He kept saying, you are my son. You are my son. And I was starting to feel like Peter for a minute. You're going to say this to me like three times, aren't you, Lord? Like you're going you're gonna to keep saying it until my heart apprehends it. You are my son. And the revelation that came with that was, if I'm his son and you're my dad, then everything you have for me is good. And everything I could ever want is good from you is going to be good. And I might not know my own heart. My heart is deceitful. Jeremiah 17, 9. And my heart's deceits have been built on the rejections, the abandonments, and the things. That's why God's going after the heart so much. He's trying to pull that part of Egypt that came in through the rejection, through the abandonment, through the loss. He's pulling Egypt out because Egypt will always be an orphan. But a son is a son and a daughter is a daughter. And Egypt cannot go into the promised land. The promised land today is worldwide revival to the end. It is the tsunami wave of being a habitation of Jesus, personally and corporately till the end. That is our promised land, that we are a habitation of the Holy One of Israel. We are literally a habitation of him. Sons and daughters are habitations and sons and daughters have inheritances. And if we're not, we don't get the inheritance. Orphans can't go there. Orphans can't go. So we're leaving our orphanhood behind us. And so everything that he's doing and resetting my expectations is he's resetting me from believing in an outcome, having an outcome-based expectation that's rooted in my brokenness and my rejection and this stuff in Egypt. Because that's what the folks in, that were coming out of Egypt wanted. They they had an expectation that if if you if you love me you'll give me meat if you love me you'll give me this I don't want 
the food of a son. I want the food of an orphan. Meat, quail. I want, you, you see what I'm saying? When they were in Egypt, they longed for what they had back here. And that's the very thing that he's pulling out of us. I can't, I want to give you manna from heaven. I want to feed you with the words that come from my very mouth into your ear, into your heart. I want to feed you with revelation. I want to feed you with prophetic revelation, intercession. I want to feed you with knowing my heart and seeing my heart and my mandate established on the earth. I don't want to feed you with you trying to get something that your deprivation says you need. The deprivation part is going because this is an hour of fulfillment. This is a season and era in the church of fulfillment. Deprivation is the food and the base of an orphan. Inheritance and lot and plenty and having it all he doesn't want me to be an orphan with a few things in my hand. He wants to give us the kingdom. He wants us to think that and know that I have something that's not that has no limit. There is no limit. I want you to pray the prayer that you could never see fulfilled. I want you to dream the dream that is larger than anything you could ever, ever, ever imagine. That's the prayer I'm after. I'm after the son and the daughter who will pray the big prayer and pray the thing that is engages the impossible because I am the God of the impossible and that's the prayer that I want to answer. And that's the prayer that only a son and a daughter could pray, not an orphan. Not someone who's still trying to peel out of Egypt a son or a daughter, I, like Jesus is literally, I want to give you an inheritance. There is an inheritance of heaven that a son or a daughter can get, but an orphan cannot. And that's why he said to me on the bottom of that pool, this past Sunday in Dawsonville, not the bottom, it makes it sound like I was drowning, but while I was being held by somebody on the stairs, you are my son. You are my son. And I was looking for the destiny word until I realized that that was the destiny word. A son who knows his father and knows that he's his father's son can trust God without having an investment and an outcome. Because my outcome the thing that I want is usually so much less than what he wants to give me. I want an outcome. I want an outcome of crumbs. It's like saying, Jesus, I just want to get my family saved. Okay, great. But what if I want to give you a nation? What if I want to give you a city? What if I want to give you a region? Are you going to settle for just this? And so that's where the orphan is. The orphan says, if you just throw me a scrap, a dirty scrap, and you meet my expectations, I will think that the desires of my heart are being met. And I'm saying to you and to me, I don't know the desires of my heart. 
because my heart has been so riddled with so much other junk in Egypt that honestly, some of the things that I'm asking for, that I'm looking for a specific outcome, is a limitation on God. I am limiting God with my own prayer requests because the thing that I'm asking for is so much less and it's tied to a specific outcome that the orphan thinks that he needs in order to be affirmed. But if you're a son or a daughter and you're like Jesus at his baptism who heard the words, this is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased, there is that was so strategic from the father to tell his son before he did one thing, before his son took off and tried to earn it, he told him, you've already got everything you will ever need. I, You are my son. I love you. That's called the antidote to dysfunctional family. <laughs> That's what Jesus has been wanting to do all along. When we live in a culture that is so fractured because of broken family and broken institutions like marriage, and family, and all of that is eroded, the hardest thing to do is to give somebody something that their expectation is so small. And they, they lock, we lock God in with our small expectation and what we think is the desire of our heart because we're, we believe that if we get that little scrap, that'll be the thing that'll tell us we're okay. What Jesus is wanting to do is tell you that you're okay on the front end. You're my son. You're my daughter. You have an inheritance. You're already okay. You could never do one thing to earn anything from me. If you never do anything, if you never did exploits, or you never climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, or if you didn't go on a mission trip and save the world. If you never did one thing, I love you the way you are, and you have every single thing that you could ever want right now. You have all of my approval. You have everything. I, You have my love. You have my approval. Why did he do that with Jesus? And why is he wanting to do, establish us as sons and daughters? Because we don't have time to earn it. And we're not supposed to earn it. A son or a daughter knows that their inheritance is secure. And a son or a daughter gets everything. A son and a daughter believes in a limitless God. A son and a daughter believes in the God of the impossible. A son and a daughter can surrender the things we want can surrender our small prayer, our small expectation. Why are you praying, I'm saying this to myself, for that job when I actually want to give you something that's so much greater? Why are you locking me in into an outcome that is tangible for you when I want to give you something that's so untangible? I want you to look up and see into the unseen real, which is more real than what you're looking at. And I want you to see what is limitless, what, what I want you to see all that I want to bring, and I want you to pray for that. I want to hear, I, I feel like that's what the Lord is after with us. I want to hear the prayer of the thing that you can't do, the thing you can't even imagine doing. So when you're praying, I remember, I'm going to end with this. One years ago, 
I was out mowing the yard. You know how Jesus shows up in the mundane. He loves the mundane. And the Lord said, I want you to tell me everything you want. I'm like, right, okay. So I start off, I mean, kind of religious, you know, punctuating everything. If it be your will, and if it be your will. And it's like, the Lord's like, stop. I want you to take your little filter off. I want you to be real, because I already know what's in your heart. So you don't have to dress it up. You don't have to couch it in religious language. This is me. This is your dad. We're having this conversation. What do you want? I want you to tell me everything that you could ever want. It was in that prayer that I said, I wanted to lead revival around the world. I could never accomplish that. Never, ever, never. I don't even, I mean, look at me. Here I am, Brunswick, Georgia, in this little house. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I'm being funny here. I've been hidden for so many years. It's it's kind of it's kind of fun, you know, to think that I could go from this to you know leading revival in any kind of capacity is like so far beyond what I could think or imagine. But I think that's the prayer that God wants to answer. I, part of that prayer was because my wife and I had already done the adopt a son thing and had it blow up and lost everything. I said, oh by the way, kind of like as a tagline to my prayer at the end. And if you have a son for us, you're going to have to drop him from heaven because we're not going looking. It was kind of like I was a little bit disgusted with that little promise. Well, I didn't know, it was probably a year later, that he was in our house. You see, I was praying a prayer about something that I thought was dead, that God had forgotten. And then he answered it. God's going to answer some of the things you prayed 10 years ago. And God is wanting to fulfill some of the promises he made. This is a season of great fulfillment where promises are going to be fulfilled and the prophetic words that God has spoken of your life are going to manifest. This is a tsunami wave season. Think of it as a tipping point in heaven where Many of us have been on these long, protracted journeys. You know, I heard um, Marty, for 18 years, he told his youth group that there was going to be a youth revival in Dawsonville. 18 years! And just a couple weeks ago, they had a youth revival in Dawsonville. Some of us have been sitting on some things that have been promises that we've kind of lost track of and we've forgotten about or we gave up hope on. Those are the things that God is resurrecting, I believe, in this hour. And we're going to see this is an hour and a season and an era of great fulfillment, significant acceleration, and the redeeming of time. He's redeeming the time that has been lost because none of it has been lost to him. And here's what we have to believe and know. If you've lost a lot, you know, we love the verse, you know, he likes to, you know, that God restores all the years, the locusts have eaten. If you've lost a lot, it's sometimes challenging to believe that in God's economy, that you could get any of that back. Let me just say this. 
God's economy is not tit for tat. You lose a house, you get a house. You lose this, no. His economy is exponential and beyond anything you could think or imagine. So here's the truth. The next five years, 10 years of my life, can I could have more and he can redeem relationship and restoration of all things. He can do things in this next season in an accelerated season of life that far surpasses anything that I've seen up to this point. So are you saying, Scott, that I could be I could have lived my whole life to this point and that I'm in a place of convergence where literally everything that I've done in snatches here and snatches there is converging into a place where I'm going to literally do the thing that I was created for without measure and that God can redeem everything that's been lost and he can pull it all together and make it, which doesn't make sense, more rich, more powerful, more profound, more significant, more fulfilling than if I had gotten the pieces I wanted along the way? And the answer to that is yes, because he's God. And because you and I are sons and daughters and we have an inheritance and it's been stacking up and he's going, he's dumping, dumping and the redeeming time season of life. He does in this much time. It's like what Jesus, what Heidi Baker said. Sometimes I get the number of months or years wrong, but it was like this. The Lord told Heidi Baker, I'm going to do in this generation what I've done in you, what everything I've given you in 36 years, I'm going to do in six months. That's what redeeming time looks like. So take the age off. Mothers and fathers out there, it's not about your age. It's about being a mother and a father. And this generation, this is what we are. We are mothers and fathers. In a generation, everybody gets to go. They're not racing ahead of us and they're not going to get all the goods and we're going to be left here just being a nice platform so that our ceiling could be their floor. That's anticlimactic at best. We're going to get the goods too. And we're going to get to swim in the same pool that they're swimming in. We're not getting left out. We're going to get to walk in the same economy of heaven that they're walking in. But we're going to walk alongside them, hand in hand with them. That's what a generation is. All right. Blessings. I'm sorry I missed a couple days here, but I think I might have made up for it. Blessings. Love to hear you guys' thoughts. Always, of course. And I will, um, I'm going to tune in again tomorrow. We'll say that today. But yes, I will. Blessings.